Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Charlotte. It's great to be a part of that team. So I think I see a lot of people heading for blue books. That's not a bad thing. So it feels weird not to be in the Gospel of Luke, right? We've been in it for, geez, for over 10 months, over 40 weeks. And, uh, but, and maybe old habits are, are hard to break. But we're going to be in this book of Philippians today. You know, um, I've spent 58 out of my 62 years living in New England. The only four years I didn't live in New England was when I was in seminary in Texas. My exile to the south, kind of like going to Egypt, and then I turned around and came back to the promised land in New England. And, you know, we have a rhythm in New England, you know, and, and we can see it in nature, right? You know, the snow melts, and eventually the ground thaws, and then the grass begins to grow, and then the leaves fall, and then the snow, we, we have this rhythm that goes on. And and we, we actually see that in our, our lives as well. I, I, I think about it, the, the summer in New England is very free-flowing, right? The kids aren't in school, there really aren't bedtimes, they sleep late, we don't have structure, you know, we, the days are long, so when work's over, the day's just kind of starting, and there's lots of stuff. And then we kind of get past Labor Day a couple of weeks. We try to milk summer for a couple more, <laughs> a couple more weeks, and then we kind of try to settle back into routine, into structure. And so every fall since we started Hope Chapel, I, I've tried to offer a message or a series that, that helps us with some structure to our spiritual lives. And I want to do that this year out of the book of Philippians. And I will tell you that I have a great sense of anticipation about this series. Um, you know, some of it is because I, I know it, it, it takes us back to some of the DNA of where my heart was when we launched Hope Chapel 21 years ago. You know, I, I was working for a network of churches known as the Baptist Churches in New England, and, and, I, and I had a leadership role there, and I got to work with lots of different churches, and I loved what I did. And the feedback that I got was that, it, they, that I was good at it, at least good enough at it to be, to be a resource to churches. And, and I was thinking to myself, you know, the only reason I'm going to step out of a ministry that God's given me that I love and do something different is that I don't want to start a church that's just going to be church as usual, right? The, the, the whole idea was that God, and you, some of you read this in my column this week, God didn't do, hasn't done all that he's done in Christ and then poured himself into us in the presence of the Holy Spirit so you and I can have a, eh, okay, spiritual experience. Right? How, how many of you are going to go out and spend $5,000 on a dinner and think, you know, a Big Mac would have been better? Right? What, what, why would God do all of this so that you and I can just barely hang on by our fingernails and just have this mediocre experience of God. And, and so, you know, these words were just ringing in my ears from the, the word, from the lips of Jesus. You know, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And we, we set out to try to create a, a, a fellowship, a community of believers where people would never really feel content with where they were at in their journey with God. Not that they would question what God's done for them or their relationship for them, but there would always be this stirring within them that there's more. There's more. There is always more. And, and there is just this value, this, this purpose that we should have that, that there should be a sense of holy discontent that's in our lives all the time. 
And, and you're going to see that in Paul as he writes to this Philippian church. And, and, and it's this wonderful call to us to say, if you have settled, then you need to reset. And, but I also have a, a great sense of trepidation, if you will about the series that we're going to enter into. And, and, and that comes from a couple of reasons. I think for some of you, you're just tired. You, you got no bandwidth. You look at your calendar, and there's a sliver of white space between here and Christmas. And you think, how in the world can I add anything else in? And, and you're just, you just feel overwhelmed. You feel, you feel burdened. You feel tired. And you say, I just don't have the energy for this. And, and that's a concern for me pastorally. I also think that, that there are some that were with us, and, and the church in many ways has asked for this, not Hope Chapel, but the church as a whole has asked for this for a long time. This is not what people have signed up for when it comes from church, for church. You know, I, you know, you may not, but the, back, you know, when I was in seminary and that kind of stuff, there's a whole emerging church growth kind of emphasis, whatever. And what we really sold people in some ways, what came across to people was that come to church and you can, you can live the good life. I got to tell you, that's not God's objective. God's objective is for you to live a godly life. Those are not the same thing. Now, a good life can flow into that and can be a part of that, but God has really called us. He has asked us to live godly lives, not, not to have good lives that would look great and right next to the sitcom of Leave it to Beaver, right? Our lives would be exactly the same, right? You know, you know some of you are way too young to remember Leave it to Beaver. I, you know, I don't know what else you'd use because all the sitcoms today are so crazy. They don't, <laughs> anyway. So, you know, but we have this imagery that, you know, the reason I go to church is so I can have a good marriage and I can be a good neighbor and I can be a good employee and bad things won't happen to me and good things will come and da-da-da. And, and we're, we're so, so this is all about God given me the good life. And we haven't really signed up for a godly life. And, and yet God steps into our lives and he asks us to have this holy sense of discontent because there's more. There is more. And that more takes a reset. And, and what I want to do in the next over today and the next six weeks is to look at some themes from the book of, of Philippians. Usually we start in one one and kind of work through by chapters, but Philippians is just four chapters, and, and I want to look at kind of the whole thing at once every single week, pulling out truths that really speak to us. And 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 really what you see is that you see a guy in Paul who with with not the least bit of reservation can say, you know what, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm happy with either. And, and, and there are some things that are embedded in him that we can see and God calls us to, till we can get to the same place to say, you know what, if God leaves me here, it's a chance for me to be a servant. And man, that's great. And if he takes me to be to heaven, even better. Right? And, 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 and to get to that place, there's some work that needs to go on in our lives. So we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. I'd love for you to grab a Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, there's one underneath your chair. Some of you now have it in these blue books, and you can certainly use those. Let me, let me give just a, a little bit of a background uh, on the book of Philippians, where kind of Paul is, what's going on, that kind of thing, because it's always helpful to have that kind of overarching view. 
And then I, all I want to do today is, is, to, is to make us aware of why we need a reset, why we can trust Paul in leading us in that reset, and to somehow begin to define it, to, to put our expectations ar around it. And then in the weeks ahead, we'll look at the individual pieces that go through that. So when the book of Philippians is, is written, Paul's in jail. He, he, he spends every single day with a Roman soldier chained to him. And he's in Rome. It's about A.D. 62. It's really towards the end of his ministry, the end of the third, he's past the third missionary journey. He's taken the whole, you know, he's been shipwrecked on Malta, that kind of stuff, and finally makes it to Rome. And, and he's under, th and, and the Philippian church has sent him somebody to, to, to serve him, and they've sent an offering with him. That guy's name is Epaphroditus. And, and Epaphroditus got sick. In fact, he almost died while he was there with Paul in Rome. And the church back in Philippi heard about it. And so Paul said, you know what? To, to just, th they've been such good partners to me. I need to send him back so they can see he's okay. And with that, he sends a letter. And that's the occasion that this is all happening. Now, Philippi, this church in Philippi, is the least problematic of all of Paul's churches, <laughs> right? You, you, you know, I, I always have wondered, why would anybody call their church Cor Corinth Baptist Church, right, or Corinth Church? Because a Corinthian church was messed up, right? Nobody would want to be like the Corinthian, you know, they, but, but the Philippian church w was a healthy church, wasn't perfect, it was healthy, and he had this wonderful relationship with them. So he writes this letter to them, and we're going to be able to process this through as we look at it over the, over the next um, uh, six weeks or so from today. And so I want to start out with this question. I, listen, I know that God is making a big ask of us. I think he has a right to. I think he should. But God is making a big ask of us in this reset. This isn't... This isn't tweaking a couple of things so we lose a few pounds. He, he's talking about going in as a, ma, as, a, as a caterpillar and coming out as a butterfly. I mean, he's, this is a big ask for us. So why, why should we trust Paul and what he's saying to the Philippian church? Now, why should we trust this letter to Philippi? And, and I, I want to, because, you know, first of all, it's God's word, so it's trustworthy. But more than that, how can we know that Paul really has the Philippian church's best interest at heart? And I just want to pull out a, a couple of things for us to, to think about. The first thing I want to say you to see is that Paul has a very special history with this church. Now, I don't have the time to read it, but go back, if you will, and, and it's in the notes here. Acts chapter 16 talks all about Paul's experience at the, in Philippi. Let me, let me unpack it just a little bit so you get an idea. First of all, this is one of the places where, Paul, where God specifically led Paul to go. If you're following along in Acts chapter 16, he's in the middle of a second missionary journey, and, he, and he's making his way through what is today modern-day Turkey around Ephesus, Derby, Lystra, those kinds of areas, and he really wants to go off into the northeast, in, in, into in what, the, what they would call Asia, and he's looking for a pathway to get there, and every single time, God's spirit is blocking him from going. And then he has a vision. We know it as the Macedonian call, Right? 
Many people believe it was, the, was Luke, the author of the book that we just, he saw, and, and there's this Macedonian call. So immediately Paul and his, and his group, they hop on a ship, they sail across the Aegean, and they land in Europe for the very first time. And he comes up to one of the leading cities of the region, the city of Philippi. It's a, it's a Roman colony. In other words, it it's functions as a Roman city, even though it's far from Italy because of all of the, the, the retired veterans who were there, and it's given that status of a, Roman, of a Roman city. And Paul shows up, and he, and he goes out, and, and, he, and he meets some people at a place of prayer because there's no synagogue in the city. And there's a woman there who's a trader in purple, so she's an importer, exporter, and her name is Lydia, and she comes to know Christ. And so Paul and his troop go to, to stay with her, and they minister in the city. And, and, he, and he performs a miracle. The miracle is an exorcism, actually, that of, a, of a slave girl who was, who was possessed by a demon. But one of the capacities that demon gave her was the ability to tell the future. And so her owners made a boatload of money off of her. And so she's following along behind Paul and his troops saying, these guys are messengers of the Most High God. Now, I'd love for somebody to do that to me. But, I don't know, Paul got up on the wrong side of the bed, or I don't know what it was, and it just annoyed him. And so he, he just, he rebukes the spirit, and, 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 she, and, and there's a miracle, and she's delivered, but her owners are not happy. And so they drag Paul and his entourage in, in, into uh, the, the town square, and there's a makeshift trial, and they land up being beaten because they are told that they are off, you know, they're, they're, they are encouraging or teaching customs that are unlawful for Romans to follow. This is the way they would put it. They're saying there's a different king besides Caesar. And so these guys are teaching something that's unlawful. So some of you know the story. They get beaten. They get put in a jail. And in the middle of the night, they have a miraculous stay-in, right? There's an earthquake. All the doors are thrown open, but nobody breaks out. And the Philippian jailer, you know, he's ready to um, commit suicide because he knows that if he, he's alive in the morning and all the prisoners are gone, life is going to be bad for him. It would be less painful to die by his own sword. And Paul stops him, and the Philippian jailer and his whole family come to know Christ. And, and so, so obviously it's been an eventful experience so far for Paul and Philippi, but it's not done yet. The next morning, the authorities say, hey, you know, they send the messenger down, a runner down to the, the jailer and say, you can tell those guys they can go. And, and in other words, they, so, you know, the day before, when they put him in jail, they're just, they read the polls, they know which ways they're going, this is the way they act, and the next morning say, you know, it's not a big deal, you can let those guys go. And Paul said, no, 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 no. They beat us as Roman citizens without a trial, and they could be in big trouble. So they're going to come down here and eat crow and let us out themselves. And when they hear that, they rush down because they really could be in big trouble for, 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 for punishing a Roman citizen without a trial. And, and so they come down and, they issue, and Paul and his troop leave. In fact, they make their way down to Thessalonica and from Thessalonica they may make their way over to Berea. And that relationship continues. And so, you know, and so they've been through all of this together. And, and it's interesting, if you read through the, the book of Acts, 
as, as Paul leaves Philippi and he goes to Thessalonica, then, he, then the Thessalonians kind of get upset at him. So they chase him out of town and he goes to Berea. When he finds out that, when they find out he's in Berea, they're chasing him and, and they chase after him and they drive him out of Berea. That's how he lands up in Athens all by himself, for those of you who are familiar with the story. But the only people who were partners with him, who hung in there with him through all those down moments of getting chased out of Thessalonica and then out of Berea, and et cetera, the only people who hung in there with him were the Philippians. And they continued to minister to his needs. Let me just read chapter 4 for you, verses uh, 15 through 18, just so you have a little taste of it. And we're going to keep going. So the, one of the reasons Paul said, you know, he, why he has their best interest at heart, what he wants, what is best for them in the eyes of God is because they're very special to him, right? And this is what he says about them. And you Philippians know that in my early days of the gospel, when I had to leave Macedonia, I had to leave Philippi, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. And, and he goes on from there. They had this special relationship. Now, we see that expressed just a little bit more in, in verses 1-7 and 4-1. Again, I know I'm asking, I know that God is asking a big thing of us. And what I'm trying to convince you and to convince myself and to convince all of us together is that when God makes this appeal to us, he really, really, really is making this appeal for our good. And look at the way Paul puts it, verse 7 of chapter 1. This is on page 1040. That's, uh, you know, don't associate it with your 1040, right, where your taxes, you have, it's still good, good stuff, right? So some of you may want to use a different Bible so you don't have to turn to page 1040. might bring back men, bad memories. Every, he says, indeed, it is right for me to think this way about you all, about all of you, because I have you in my heart, right? I mean, he, he just, there was just this special place in his heart for them. Four one, I, I love the way it puts it there. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown. Right? He, he thinks about this church and he said, "You know what? Th this is my pride and joy. Th th this is the one I'm, I'm going to look most forward to, laying at the altar of the feet of, of Jesus as my gift to them." He, he had, they just had the special place in them. You know, I, and now that I'm a grandparent, I really think about he feels about them like a, a grandparent. You know, when you're a parent and you have a little kid, an infant, you know, you're creating the user manual as you go, and it's very stressful. You're trying to figure out, is that cry now a wet cry? Is that a hungry cry? Is that a tired cry? Is that a teething cry? Or is that a just I want to make your life miserable cry? You're trying, to, you're trying to figure all that stuff out and write the manual. When you're a grandparent, you just get to bounce them around, make them smile, and then you hand them back, right? And it's just this wonderful thing. I think that's exactly how Paul felt about this church. And when he looked at them, th there was a sense in which this church kind of already had it already had their, you know, his, his, his finger tied up. I mean, they, they, he, he, he just wanted what was good for them because of their journey. There's another aspect to this, right? He, he just knew that they had potential. They had the potential, right? He, he, he had a high opinion of who they are. And because of that, he knew that God wanted and was planning 
and was doing great things in them. Just look at the way he starts the book in 1-1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. I mean, he looked at them and he said, that those people who are part of that spiritual community in that city, they really are God's people. They're saints. They're, they're saints, right? And, and, and he, just, he just sees it. And, and he knows that if God's in them, the sky needs to be the limit. And they need to keep going. Look at verse four, chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to do this every week. So just, just learn to keep your fingers wet and go back and forth. Notice what he says. You know what? He said, you guys did well in partnering in, with me in my hardship. He looks at him and says, not only, do you have, not only do you have every resource in the heavenly places available to you because you are a child of God, but you've proven that it's working out because of the way you've partnered with me even when things were going down and not always up. You've been faithful, and, you say, and he has a high opinion. He says, man, you know, God can do great things in these people. And that's why he, he's just longing for that to all happen. Here's another reason why you and I can trust Paul. And this is in verses 3, verses 4 through 12, chapter 3, verses 4 through 12. And, and my, my, my wife, when she was putting this outline in, she said, you got this, you got this worded right? He says, this is because Paul's been there. And he's doing that. What Paul's asking us to do, this reset, what we're going to see in his life and in these words and his appeal and his heart for this church in Philippi, he's living it. He's a practitioner, right? And if you read through all of this in chapter 3, verses 4 through 12, let me, let me just read some parts of it to you. And, 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 and we can see that Paul is undergoing this sense of reset, right? He, he, he's, he's, he's not settling but he knows that there's more. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Here's what Paul's saying. If you were going to hold a draft and have an A-team for those who, who, are, are, who excel at the law and would be the, the team you would want to go to battle with, Paul would be a number one draft pick. Right? He, 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 he's at the top of the line. Everything that would tell him, say, you know what, I have arrived. It's time to enjoy. Look what he says in verse 7. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Does that sound like holy discontent? He said, man, I, you know what? I, I, everything, the surpassing value is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And as he goes on here, he, 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 verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead, and you could just go on and on. The only reason I'm highlighting this is Paul isn't asking you and I to do anything that he didn't do. 
and do well. I mean, he's been there and he's done that. All right. So why do we need a why do we need a re- reset, right? Somebody says, "All right, you know, maybe Paul did. Why do I need a reset? You know, wh- what's in there? Here, here's a few things, right? And I I almost worded this point differently. It's because God is still working in us. God is still working in you. He's not done yet, right? I almost worded it because God is always working in you. He's always working at you. And so if, if there isn't something happening, then there's something wrong with us. Because God is always working in us. God is still working in us. Just a couple of verses to back this up as, as Paul looks at this. Again, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at the whole book and he's pulling. Look at verse 6 again. He says, I am sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Has Jesus come back yet? No. So that until the day of Christ Jesus hadn't happened yet. So what does that mean? God is still working. And therefore, I need a reset. Because God is asking me to change. Because God is at work in me. And God is at work in you. Just, you flip over to chapter 2, just across the page in verse 13, it says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. The reason you should have a holy sense of discontent, the reason why you and I and we together need a reset, is because God's at work. And he's always at work. He's always at work. And, and, and so there should be this changing, this development, and this growing, and, and et cetera. It, goes it, it should be there. Again, big ask. Some of us are tired. Some of us are like, I got no margin in my life. I, I don't even, listen, God, God is offering. God, God is at work in you. And, and what's interesting, we find ourselves in this place, either we are cooperating with the activity of God, or we are frustrating the activity of God. What do you want to do? Do you want to cooperate with the activity of God, or do you want to frustrate the activity of God? I think some of us say, I just want to pause the activity of God, you know? And, and remember back, again, some of you are young, but, you know, remember back when you couldn't pause live TV when you went to the bathroom, right? You know, you actually had to time yourself to the commercials. You know, like, now you just hit pause, right? We don't get to do that with God. God's always at work. There is no pause button, right? And, and, and he's always at work, and we need to change. I'm going to hear about that from, from others saying, that's not a great example, right? So here's, here's, the, here's the next reason why you need to reset, because God's commanded it. And again, you can go lots of places, but just look at verse 12 of chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, hear the heart that Paul has for them again. Man, he's not asking this because he's angry at them or he doesn't like them or he's trying to beat them down. He he has a yearning for them, a desire for them. And he says, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Because your salvation is present, precious. 
It is absolutely priceless. It is precious. God has taken you out of darkness. He's moved you into his marvelous life. He's taken you who were, were outside the family of God, and he has lavished on you his love so that you can be called the children of God. And he's saying, man, don't, I mean, treat it with the, with the, 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 the carefulness, the protection, the fear, the trembling that, you, that, that, you, that, that it deserves it because it is priceless. The second, notice the word work here. How many of you, when you think about your faith, you think about working? Huh? Right? We, we, we think, well, faith should be easy. It should just kind of slide. No, 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 no. no. He's saying, you know, it, t- it takes work. It takes effort. It takes commis- commitment. It takes discipline. It takes, you know, it takes structure. You've got to work. It, it, he, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And not just because somebody else is standing over your shoulder saying, you've got to do this, but because you want it from the inside, even much more so in my absence. That's why you and I need a reset. And, and, and maybe this is just another way to, to say this, and my, my time's starting to run out. You know, why do we need a reset? Because there's more. There's more. You know, and, and before I read this verse to you, so ask yourself, how much have you really grown in the last, spiritually in the last six months? All right, just go back and say, all right, at Easter, what was my spiritual life like? And how was God using me? And how different is that today? Right? And, 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 what God's saying to us is, there's, there's always more. Read verse th- chapter 3, verse 12 with me. Paul said, listen, this, <laughs> Paul probably, you know, again, from a persecutor of the church, Damascus Road experience, planted dozens of churches, grew dozens of leaders, was, was personally responsible for moving the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome and beyond, And this is the guy that God really used. And this is what he says about himself. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, again, notice the relationship, the heart. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and reach forward, to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. There's more. There's more. Do you really want more? Do I really want more? It's an interesting question. Again, back to my trepidation. I'm tired. I'm barely holding on. You know, my kids got stuff going on nine days a week, except, you know, we're just, and it's like, I got no, God stepped in and said, there's more. Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So what is a reset? What is it that we're really talking about? And I want to use as my, as my, um, my guide for this. Verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1. There's lots of, lots of places I probably could have gone in, 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 in this little book. 
to define a reset. But let me read this for us. And I pray this. Right? So here's a reset. To get ourselves into a place where that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior. Spiritual goals that lead to superior joy, the subtitle of our series, right? I pray that, this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Listen, folks, I, I am, I'm not asking you just to do a spiritual fast. I, I don't believe God's just asking us to do a little cleanse or to learn a new practice or, or do that kind of stuff. I, I believe that God is calling us into a journey with him. And, and the, 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 thing, the thing that I've been led to focus on is this word approve. So a reset, let me back up here. It's interesting having my own clicker now. I think I like this better. So a reset is that when that prayer is fulfilled in you, right, that you are growing in love and knowledge and discernment so that you know how to approve what's superior, so that your life becomes purer and more fruitful to God's glory as you walk through. That's what it means to go through a reset. The word I want to focus in on is the word approve. And, 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 and I think this is a really rich word, right? It, it means to, to know, you know, you, you, you ever been, <laughs> I don't go to the grocery store very often because I come home with too many chips and dips and frozen ice cream and that kind of stuff. So my wife comes home with healthy stuff. But, you know, you go in there and it's like, all right, there are now one million tomatoes in front of me. Which ones are the ripe ones, right? The pineapples or whatever. You have no idea, right? And you sniff it. They all smell bad to me. How do you know? How do you know? In order for you and I to approve, we need to know the superior things. We need to understand what those mean, right? So there's not somebody else's knowledge, but it's our knowledge, so we understand it. We need to desire it. Listen to it. This is what we need to want ourselves. This isn't, this isn't like, here's what I want. All right, I'll add just a little bit of what God wants in, and then I'll feel good. What you and I want is to forget what lies behind and press on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And, and, and so we desire. That's what we want. It's what we pursue. We hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? And then we actually choose it. So it's not theoretical, but it's practical, the things that are superior. And, 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 to, and so this reset, that I think God's calling us is so that you and I have the ability to know, understand, desire, and choose what is superior. Those things that lead our lives to be full of joy, his joy, 
and produce fruit for him. And, and, and there are some wonderful but challenging things that God's going to speak to us about. Notice I use the word us. I, I don't stand up. I'm in this journey as well because God's call, calling me to more as well, to the sense of abundance. That's what God's really calling us to. And, and so the, the only, only appeal I have for you today out of our text is everything we've talked about. Are you willing to have an honest conversation with God? And I emphasize the word honest. Because, you know, so, are you willing to have an honest, sincere conversation with God and saying, am I really living my life with a sense of holy discontent? Or, or do I just like it on whose control? You know, I got a great rhythm. You know, I got to get out and I go to church on Sunday morning and I get my pep talk and I get free coffee and I'm out the door and, you know, and, and, and then, you know, I, I feel I can get through my week and then, or, or are we really on mission with is it, will, will you allow God to create a heart within you, a heart that has a sense of holy discontent because there's more? God is still. God is always at work into you, in you and in me to complete what he has started, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Will we cooperate with that? Let's pray together. God, not necessarily a feel-good message today, but underlying there's a wonderful promise. God, you want nothing but extraordinary for us. God, you want nothing but extraordinary for us. For us to be able to look back on our lives and say, wow, look how God used me. And to be overwhelmed by it. God, create in us, create in me a holy sense of discontent. In Jesus' name, amen.